This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's up, man? Not much. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right. Um, busy, 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 but it's that point in the semester where everything's like starting to ramp up and, you know, you're just bogged down with stuff to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. Um, I... Turned in a 15-page paper yesterday, um, exegeting the Lord's Prayer. Oh my gosh, that's so much fun! Um, we should do it. We should find a way to do an episode on that because, in doing it, I learned a lot about the, what Jesus is doing there that yeah. I'd never understood before. Just because anytime you dive deep into a study like that, especially when you start exegeting like specific words and structures, I mean, like I never really thought about it, but just for instance, like when Jesus says, you know, pray this way, give us this day our daily bread, mm-hmm. what biblical, like what biblical story pops in your mind when you hear that? Is there one? Um, I think for me... Are we talking about like Old Testament narrative or New Testament? Biblical story. Uh, I think for me, the give us this day our daily bread kind of reminds me of feeding the 5,000. So that hadn't happened yet in the story. I know, but you said any, but that's what it reminds me of. How about uh, daily manna during the Exodus story? Yeah. Like. I could see that. Never caught that connection. Mm. Um. Just, there were several things like that. And when G, when he says, lead us not into temptation, but rescue or protect us from evil, mm-hmm. like Jesus' own temptation narrative should yeah. be in your mind there. Like there were so many things as I was exegeting the Greek text that I was like, oh, wait, the, there's connections all over this thing. The Bible project. These are hyperlinks <laughs> everywhere. Um, so I, it was really formative for me just in, in what, Jesus is telling us to pray for there. Um, and so maybe, maybe it'd be a great thing to talk about on practicing presence, but, Mm. um, just that prayer and what, what we should actually be praying for. And so I turned that in this yesterday and dude, my semester is smooth sailing from this point on. I have, uh, I still have lots of papers, but they're spaced out in ways that I'm like, it's a breeze. Yeah, no, I've got lots of things back to back to back coming up. Um, plus all of the actual other daily work that you got to do, at least yeah. in undergrad. Yeah. Well, you have that in grad school too. It's just, hey, we, we expect you to read these 300 pages and know that material for the final, but we're never going to talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very different. Very yeah. different. So... I thought your sermon from this last week was uh, really powerful, talking oh. about the um, the centurion, you know. Yeah, um, thanks. You want to walk us through that a little bit? Yeah. As you guys know, we're in this series that I'm calling Because of Faith, and I, I just can't get enough of this idea of how faith actually impacts God's activity in the world. And... 
this story is really, really unique um, because this high-ranking official, this centurion, comes to Jesus, and he says, Lord, I have a servant who is lying at home in agony. He's paralyzed. And Jesus responds, he says, I'll come to your house and I'll heal him. So it's like the man comes to Jesus and he says, hey, I'll I'll come to your house and heal you. But the centurion, he's like, no, no, no. No, I want you to heal. But like, I also know the manner in which you're capable of healing and you don't have to come to my house. You can heal them from right here. Which is pretty mind-boggling because when when I pray for something, I pray for it in a way, and I say, you know, something like, "Lord, let this happen." Yeah. And if it happens, I go praise Jesus. God answered prayers. Mm-hmm. I've never once went, God, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I know you can do this. Even more powerful. I know that you can do this in a more glorifying way to you. I don't yeah. I don't need you to just do it, but there's a way that I think you should do it. Yeah, when when we were talking yesterday, um, without giving too much details, um you were praying for something and the God an- and God answered your prayer. Yeah. Um pretty specifically. And then you realize, maybe I should have prayed about it this way. Yeah, maybe I should have prayed about it another way because God answered my prayer exactly how I asked for it, but now I don't know what to do with the answer. Yeah. So, <laughs> guys, pray for me. I'm learning this whole church plant thing. Um, but something that this drew me to is there's this old story from the Midrash. So if you don't know, the Midrash is some old Jewish texts that never made it into the Bible, but they're kind of adjacent um, tradition books. Um, A lot of times in the Gospels when it says, you know, it's written, well, it's not actually written in the Bible, it's written in the Talmud, which is another part of Midrash. And so uh, they're they're Jewish adjacent, or they're Christian adjacent texts, they're religion documents from the time. And there's a story in the Midrash of a guy named Honey. And if you've ever read Mark Batterson's book, The Circle Maker, you know where this comes from. But the Midrash tells this story of a guy named Honey, and the land that he's in is going through a drought, a severe drought, a famine drought. Like, people are losing their lives because of this drought. And Honey is this, like, wise man. He's like a sage, a prophet. Excuse me. And he lives outside the city. But he gets this hankering. And, man, he's like, he's an enthusiast's pathway to the core. Because mm. he walks into the city and walks right in the middle of the city. And he takes his staff and he draws a circle around himself. So he closes himself in the circle. And he says, God, I'm not going to move from this spot until you make it rain. And he begins to pray. And sure enough, people begin to gather around and watch, and a light sprinkle begins to come down. 
that were me, Thanks, God. <laughs> Story over. You made it rain. Yeah. No. So tradition goes, Honey says, God, for not such rain have I prayed, but rain that will flood cities. So. He kept praying. Almost instantaneously, violent mm. rain starts coming down storm like rain starts coming down it's like the land is in a famine it's in a drought like we'll we'll be fine it'll soak this up good thanks god for answering prayers honey is once again not satisfied and honey says for not such rain have i prayed but peaceful calm rain that will fill jars and instantaneously the rain from the famous scene in the notebook begins to drop down just a steady peaceful rain the kind of rain that cinematographers love because it's just like that steady stream of peaceful rain that like every romance movie's craving it's just like it's how it happens but we don't think about faith or prayer in this way we pray we have faith that God will do something, but we don't have faith that God will do it exactly how we've asked. It's when we get any glimmer of it, we step back. But the centurion shows us that that's not the approach we have to take, nor is it the approach we should take. You know, the centurion goes into this whole thing about authority, and he says, like, no, my, I'm not worthy to have you in my home. Like, you are something bigger than me. He says in verse 8, Lord, I don't deserve to have you in my house. And in truth, I know you don't need to be with my servant to heal him. Just say the word and he will be healed. That, after all, is how authority works. My troops obey me, whether I am next to them or not. Similarly, this sickness will obey you. Jesus was stunned by the depth of, of the officer's faith. What I just I'm pretty fascinated with this question. What would the world look like if we stopped praying for abstract justice and we prayed for specific restoration? Mm. What would it look like if we stopped praying for oppression and specifically prayed for black people to be elevated to equality. What what would it look like if we said, God, no, I know you're powerful enough to do this thing that I'm asking for. Mm. Not, not just this abstract idea of healing, not just this abstract idea of restoration, but a very, very, very specific kind of restoration. Yeah, um... So at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I started praying something very similar to that. I started praying, God, I know you're powerful enough. Um, so why don't you heal every person that has the coronavirus? Hmm. Um, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, uh, th that's a very pointed prayer. Um, 
And I think that that is probably the way we need to pray. Um, very specific. Um, and pray big. That's right? the thing. I, I heard a sermon one time. I was in, I was in undergraduate, and I was in my first ever preaching class, and a guy named Joshua Hilburn, love that guy, pastor of a church plant here in Houston, preached a sermon from Acts 2, and it's Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And in that, if you remember, he quotes from Joel chapter 2, and he says, in the last days, all these things will happen. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. All these types of things. And I'll never forget, I don't remember all of Josh's sermon. I remember the final words. So for heaven's sake, dream big. Mm. Like wow. Just that idea that if we truly believe we serve an all-powerful God, what the heck are we doing asking him for such small requests? Yeah. Um, you know, I've told this story on another podcast, but I have a friend named Kyle Dobbs who we served together in ministry for a long time, still to this day one of my best friends. And he has this analogy that... If, if I gave, if I handed you the keys to a Ferrari that was sitting in the driveway and you were going to go drive it, wh where are you going? You're going anywhere that you think you can try to top that car out, right? But it's almost like our prayer life. God is the Ferrari and we drive him through a neighborhood and maybe even a school zone. Mm. Like we just putter around at 25, 30 miles an hour when the car is capable of 180. Like we're not pushing that limit, which means we have a lack of faith because Jesus says here in verse 10, Jesus was stunned by the depth of the officer's faith. Yeah. And there's another piece of this that I want to talk about. And I know I talked about it in the sermon, but I think it's so important. Notice this faith is not for himself. This is not faith for his own healing. Yeah. This is faith for his servant. You know, a lot of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters want to point to this as um, a relationship of same sex because it's a male centurion and it's also a male slave that this is a deep level of affection that they have for each other. Now, I will say, I don't think there's anything in the text that leads me to believe that this is a romantic relationship, but it's definitely an intimate one. Yeah. Because this is a rich man. Losing a slave, not not hurtful. Right. Like, not, doesn't hurt his portfolio that much. Yeah. But he's viewing this person, this slave, as a person. This is a human being that he doesn't want them to lose their life. And he goes out of his way to go to Jesus, and he has faith. Get this. This is the piece I love. He has enough faith for someone else's restoration. Do you have enough faith for your son's and daughter's restoration? Do you have enough faith for your neighbor's restoration? 
to have enough faith for your mom, your dad, your coworker, your spouse? Do you have enough faith um, that oppression will end? Do you have enough faith that people will be um, placed in a, a place of equity? Yeah, I think I do. I do think that's an element of this. Yeah, but I also think right here, this is someone that he deeply cares for. That he's seeking healing. This is an individual person that loves another individual person that's in need of healing and restoration. Yeah. Do you have enough faith that another individual can experience healing because of your faith? Mm. Yeah, no, that's uh, a really good question. Um, and something that I think we all need to consider. Yeah, well, because as I mentioned previously, for me, this is an important question because when we come into Advent, oh. I'm asking you to invite someone. I'm asking you to have faith for someone else. I'm asking you to have faith that God's restoration is big enough that your faith can restore someone else that God can move through you. And we're going to look at another text next week. And boy, it's a doozy. I've been wrestling with it for weeks. Um, but I think it's important. But absolutely, I think that we see a number of times in the Gospels that people are healed because of the faith of someone else. Yeah. And we live in a world that is more and more broken every single day. And if we truly, truly believe what Jesus says, that the faith of a mustard seed can say to a mountain to move and it will obey, what does that actually mean for our faith? Hmm. Jesus says this smallest thing of faith can say to a mountain to move. And yet we don't even have enough faith for our own restoration. Yeah, that's when you, when you think about it that way, faith is an incredible power. It Um, is. Yes, it is. You know, we always talk about miraculous healing. We talk about prophecy. You know, we talk about the, the quote-unquote supernatural or miraculous gifts of 1 Corinthians 14. It's faith, dude. If there were ever a superpower, it's just faith. Yeah. Literally, it is just faith. I mean, you got to think about um, which one was it, Elijah or Elijah, that called fire down from heaven. Um, That's Elijah. Yeah. Um, That's incredible. And think about the kind of faith that that takes. So that's a different kind of story. Yeah. Um, No, it is very different, but because, well, but I'm just talking because that dude, not only does he have enough faith that he can call down fire from heaven, he mocks those dudes several times. Pour water on it. I ain't worried about that. Let that flood that thing. Wet wood. It'll still burn. Like I ain't worried about it. And oh, by the way, if I can do it and you can't, I'm going to chop your head off. (laughs) 200 priests of Baal. 
Yeah. Is it 200 or 400? I don't remember, but it was a lot. It's several hundred. And Elijah calls down fire from heaven and literally chops every one of their heads off. Incredible amount of faith. An insane amount of faith. Yeah. We see, and I've mentioned this on here, but this is, you know, every preacher has that story that that sermon is just in the bag. It's in the back pocket. We could drop it at any moment. I'd be interested to know. We have a lot of other preachers that listen to this podcast too. Um, be interested to know what your what your go to kind of sermon is. Minus Acts three, mm. when Peter heals the man outside the temple. I've got that one. I've also got John five. I do something really, or John 6. I do something really good with John 6 and the feeding of the 5,000 because I make you hear the story as if you're the little boy that offers up his five fish and two barley loaves. Wow. So those are my two, like, I can pull them out at any moment. But in the Acts 3 sermon, Peter's just walking, and this dude's just asking for money. (laughs) Okay, bro, I I need some bread. And Peter's like, hey, I'm broke, but uh, I'll heal you. <laughs> he just reaches down and like yanks him up. Can you imagine the amount of faith it takes? Because this is a lame man. And they're outside the temple. What happens if that man's not healed? Peter looks like the biggest jerk of all time. Yeah. Super insensitive and... Like, uh, egotistical? Yeah. Who are you that you think that you can heal this man? Yeah. And yet, Peter does it, and it's miraculous. That's what, that's the prime, like, that's what faith is. Yeah. Um, And I think that that's something really important about faith um, that you just kind of touched on, was how you, you kind of pointed it to how everyone else would look at him if it didn't work. Um. Sometimes we get in our own heads, mm-hmm. right? And we, we think, like, if this doesn't work, people are going to laugh at me or people aren't oh, going to yeah. like me. Um, people are going to think that I'm a, quote, Bible beater, right? Yep. Um, and you get in your own head, and then you don't do the thing that God's calling you to do. Yeah. Or you don't have enough faith in what God is trying to do through you. Yeah, and it's interesting you know, I meet a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people. I have mentors and coaches that share stories with me. Of all the people I've met and talked to, I've never met a person who told me that I couldn't pray for them. I've never met a person who told me they were upset when I prayed for them. I've even met atheists that seemed relieved when I told them I was praying for them. Because they don't want to believe, but they're glad that someone believes. So, I had one very specific experience um, where I was told that I was not allowed to pray for someone Mm. by the person I was asking, right? They said, I don't want you to pray for me. Um, It was a very specific situation, and I don't think it would happen in any other situation, it was on intervention with Elijah rising. Mm. 
Um, yeah. I'm not, I can't give any more details yeah, than yeah, that, yeah. but, um, I asked if I could pray for someone and they looked at me dead in the face and said, no, I want you to leave. Mm. You know what that does when you ask if you can pray for someone and they say no? Makes you want to pray for me anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I was walking out praying for her. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it was hard because it was one of those situations where I had to walk into this place by myself. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know what I was walking into. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I had faith that I was going to walk in there and make some sort of a difference. Yeah. Um, but then as soon as I walked in there and I saw that person sitting there um, and I started trying to talk. Um, and then they started closing up and I started closing up. I felt my faith just kind of like, yeah. Um, so it, it's really hard not to let other people's feelings about what you're trying to do influence you. Um, but I think it's essential. Yeah. Jesus didn't care. Well, not only did Jesus not care, the people that received healing didn't care. Yeah. When you are truly in a place of surreal brokenness, you don't care how you're healed. You just want to be healed. If there is a God, whoever they are, heal me, please. Um, And so I think... You know, I've said every episode here that faith is your expectancy that God's power is going to meet your vulnerability. Question is, how specific will you be with your vulnerability? Mm. Do you have enough faith to tell God exactly what you want to happen? Yeah. Or are we just going to pray weak prayers that we can chalk up as successes or God answering prayers, even though they don't require divine intervention. 